Welcome to Hyperbaric Living with Dr. Masha podcast. I'm Dr. Masha, naturopathic doctor, hyperbaric expert, and your podcast host, bringing you the cutting-edge interviews and ideas about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I'm grateful to interview these bright minds and sharing their knowledge and experience in the field of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Thank you for listening. So let's get started with this week's episode. Welcome back to Hyperbaric Living Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Masha, and today I have with me Dr. Scott Barber. He is an orthopedic surgeon. He practices in Atlanta. I found him on social media because he has the most entertaining videos about the actual surgery that's being performed. But today we'll talk about hyperbaric oxygen therapy and its role pre and post surgery in sports medicine, in in orthopedic medicine and from uh, taking from your experience and expertise. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Barber. Really excited to have you with me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Me too. So let's dive in. How did it start for you? How did you learn about hyperbaric therapy? Well, I went to medical school and in my orthopedic training, we had experience with hyperbaric therapy, especially for patients in trauma centers with uh, bad wounds affecting primarily lower extremities and areas of the body where they have tenuous blood supply. And if you don't have a good sub blood supply to your tissues, the tissues can't heal. So we commonly put trauma patients in who had problems with wounds and also diabetics. The number one reason that people undergo amputation of their lower extremities has to do with complications resulting from diabetes and the peripheral vascular disease that they develop after years of having a high blood sugar, which damages their blood vessels. And so when you put people in a hyperbaric chamber, you're delivering a higher oxygen tension to the tissues, which promotes healing. And so I just extrapolated out that knowledge and that understanding to patients with other injuries. It makes sense to me that if we are able to get traumatic patients with serious traumatic wounds and diabetics uh, with wounds that are that are developing primarily because they have poor blood flow, and if we put them in a hyperbaric chamber and those patients do better, that the increased oxygen tension should be able to help patients who are healing from other injuries. And that's when I started uh, putting it together. Um, you and I were talking off air a little earlier too about, you know, it's very hard in medicine to prove a counterfactual, you know, and nowadays I know with, with the COVID epidemic and things, everybody's got randomized controlled trials on their mind, but medicine is not like that. You know, you can't do randomized controlled trials on everything. You know, you can't give a medicine to kids and sacrifice one group of the kids and not the others and see who does better. So there are some things in medicine that we have to evaluate by what we call anecdotal evidence, which is... You know, the, the Hippocratic Oath for Doctors is do no harm. And so when I'm trying to treat patients, I use my knowledge of science and my understanding of the tools that I have available to me. And I think to myself, I don't want to cause any harm, but what could I do to help a patient? And that got me started on hyperbaric chambers. And I have had good anecdotal results uh, using this hyperbaric chamber with a variety of different injuries over the years. And what results have you seen? So the first time I really started using it, I've I've always used it in my professional athletes. They are uh, into it, you know, they, they know about it. Uh, high performance athletes are always trying to look look at ways to get that extra edge. 
And so hyperbaric chamber is something that they've been using for a long time. Now, a lot of athletes will use what we call a soft shell chamber. So a lot of these new hyperbaric chambers that you might have in your home are soft shell. And these soft shell chambers really, you can't put a lot of pressure. The hard shell hyperbaric chambers that are like a little submarine, those you can go up above one atmosphere to two atmospheres is what our shells go to. You can go higher if you want, but the literature shows us and things we can measure like with diabetic wound healing and things like that. You need two atmospheres of pressure to to have any real healing. And so I started putting my patients in an atmospheric chamber where I'm able to raise atmosphere to two atmospheres. So when we're living in our regular lives, we have one atmosphere of pressure. Hyperbaric chamber, we go and we actually apply pressure. It goes to two atmospheres and the patient is actually having oxygen delivered to them. So they're getting a maximum amount of oxygen uh, delivered to their tissues. And I have seen improvements for things like diabetes. I've seen it for crush injuries. So in the field of orthopedic surgery, we have patients every now and then a car or a forklift or something will run over a patient's foot. It crushes, they heal from the broken bones and things like that. And things sort of to, sort of start to work again, but they have this chronic pain burning and, and they're, it's very painful. And we call that a crush injury. It's a crush to all those cells that are around the foot. And so even though when you look at it macroscopically and everything seems to look okay, they still have this pain. I started putting these patients in hyperbaric chambers and many of them got significant improvement. And so all over the years, I started taking all of my patients that I've done everything else I can think of and they're still having pain or problems. I stick them in the hyperbaric chamber and many times we have uh, good results and never do I have bad results. Meaning I never put in anybody in the hyperbaric chamber and have a negative consequence. So to me, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen to you is nothing. And so in a lot of cases, it's worth it to try it. So if we go back to this crush injury, and let's say a patient is experiencing a lot of pain, and you suggest to them that um, uh, they can use hyperbaric oxygen therapy, uh, how many sessions uh, would they normally um, look at? Well, you know, usually with a hyperbaric chamber, we put somebody in for one hour, and we try to do that three times a week. Um, there's no real rhyme or reason to that. A lot of the research that we do really has to do with availability. I mean, how many doctors actually have access to a hyperbaric chamber? And so because most doctors don't have access to a hyperbaric chamber, it doesn't get a lot of um it doesn't have a lot of research uh, directed towards it. And doctors don't have any real world practical experience with it because they don't have access to it. I have one, so I use it. Um, but I have seen a lot of benefit with patients. Um, and I've not, like I said, I have not had any negative effects. And so to me, it's a, a good source of treatment. And it makes sense to me when I think about the science of how the body works and the delivery of oxygen on the cellular level and how the body heals itself after illness or injury. Uh, but any patient would ask you probably, how many sessions would I need? So you do it three times a week for how many weeks? Uh, we usually do it until we get a result. I have patients that will come once a week. I have mm -hmm. patients that come once in a while. I have a lot of professional athletes that come after, you know, a competition where I have a lot of MMA fighters that I treat, uh, professional football players, golfers, um, other, other types of athletes. And, you know, I guess sort of my baseline is my, I would like you to come once a week for an hour. Uh, if you can do more, we do more. I have some people I've had uh, Olympic athletes. They go in every day for a period of time of weeks, usually uh, until their competition. And again, 
when you ask them how they feel, they'll come out and they say, I feel great a lot of times. And, you know, how do you measure that? How do you measure that they're feeling great because of the hyperbarics and not just because the psychological effect or or maybe some other factor? But like I say, it seems to be working. It seems to be effective and it's definitely safe. I agree. And I should say that although it's difficult to measure, how do you measure feeling great? But we know when we're not feeling good right? And we can maybe rate it on a scale of one to 10. And even if partially, it could be due to the effect of us going to placebo effect. It cannot be 100% due to placebo effect. It's just impossible. Because if you feel terrible, you get inside the chamber, you come out and you feel energized, relaxed, and ready to conquer the world, you cannot make it up. Yeah. And again, if you were to have that placebo effect every time you got in the chamber, I would say, who cares? I mean, if that's making you feel better, I would do it. And listen, I don't I don't believe it is placebo. I mean, there are things we can measure, like I said, with the traumatic wounds and the diabetic wounds. There's no question it's having an effect. I mean, that's that's not in dispute. It's just how do you measure it for other types of injuries? You know, people who have diabetic wounds or these big traumatic wounds and things like that, you can actually see and, and we'll treat them without the hyperbarics. You know, we're treating them. They're not getting better, not getting better. They're getting worse. And it's like, okay, we need to do hyperbaric therapy. We put them in the hyperbarics and within a period of weeks, a wound that wasn't healing maybe for months ahead of time is now all of a sudden healed great. There's no question that the hyperbarics is doing it. And that's not just me saying that. That's supported by the medical literature. The only thing that I've been doing is taking that information and extrapolating it out to patients with other injuries like ACLs or shoulder injuries or or basically just body, you know, when you go out and you play a, a competition at a high level, a professional rugby player, you know, their body is beaten up and they have a lot of different injuries, you know, nothing that needs surgery, but bangs and bruises and sprains and strains all over their body. You put them in that hyperbaric chamber and they they seem to me to be recovering much more quickly and they're ready for the next competition and they're able over the course of a long season to, to stay healthy and stay at their best. Do you have a practice in your clinic when you do hyperbarics pre-surgery? Um, I've brought it up and I do have patients that do that, but mostly because they're already part of the program. They're already doing hyperbarics. I have not had anybody where I'm going to do surgery and I say, let's do hyperbarics for a while and then do the surgery. But it's definitely something to consider. I have the hyperbaric chamber as a tool. I have it available to me. It pops into my head all the time. And I try to think about all of my patients. What is everything that I can do to make somebody better? And, you know, doctor is teacher. My job is to know about things. I share that information with my patients and I let them make the decisions. And, you know, a lot of these questions come up, like for me, even I could live my life in a hyperbaric chamber and be super healthy. Yeah, but then I can't do other things. So obviously, um, you know, there's there's trade-offs there. Uh, but I, I feel strongly about the hyperbaric chamber. And as I'm getting older, I'm going to be 60 in three years. So I'm starting to think more and more about getting in that hyperbaric chamber and keeping my tissues healthy for this last uh, last stretch. Disease prevention. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's much easier to prevent a disease than to treat it afterwards. And you should know better than anybody else doing the surgeries. What about post-surgery? How so do you use again, it for recovery? So anybody that I think is going to have a problem with recovery, uh, we consider it as an option. So there are certain things where, uh, you know, you're going to do the procedure and the patient's going to do well regardless. And I get this question from patients always like, well, if I don't do it, 
Am I not going to get better? And most of the time it's like, oh, you'll still get better by every objective measure. You'll have a great outcome. Well, then why would I do the hyperbaric chamber? Because it may be better. May, what does that mean? It's like, well, it may be better. I don't know. You know, you if you let's, for example, let's say I do an ACL surgery on you and I use a cadaver graft to make a new ligament. And then over the course of time, you're healing and we put you in the hyperbaric chamber. And while that graft is incorporating into your body and forming a new ACL that's made up of your own tissue that takes 18 months to two years to occur, if you're getting hyperbaric treatment periodically, is that tissue going to heal better than if we don't do it? Well, that's hard to measure, right? Because I can't take some patients and subject them to the hyperbaric chamber and then, you know, sacrifice them and then look at their ACLs under a microscope, you can't do that. So you just have to um, extrapolate out and see how patients are doing. Um, and so I'll use the hyperbaric chamber in situations where uh, patients have um, known problems with healing. And one of the classic ones is there's an, an injury called a pylon fracture, or really any severe ankle trauma that you get. The soft tissue there has a tenuous blood supply. You have a lot of area around your ankle where there's really just skin and then the bone is right there. And if you lose tissue, it's very difficult to get that to heal. And because of the poor blood supply, it's also prone to infection. So when I have those patients with that kind of trauma, I put them in the hyperbaric chamber to give them the best opportunity for wound healing and also to prevent infection from, from setting. I up. see. So you just using your judgment to see in which particular situations it would be appropriate in best therapy, considering cost benefit analysis and all other factors that could be. Exactly. And it's not just my judgment. It's my patient's judgment. I give mm -hmm. them the information and if somebody wants to use it, I'll make it available. And you know, I try to not, you know, sound the alarm like, well, if you don't use the hyperbaric chamber, then everything's going to go to pot. No, I mean, most people with ACLs, they do just fine in or out of the hyperbaric chamber and let them know it. And then they can be the ones to decide if it's something they want to do. Uh, I think it's a great approach because that's uh, you meet patients where they are. And that's what we're being taught at medical school, meet your patient where they are and, you know, yep. treat them accordingly. Um, do you combine in your clinic, do you combine hyperbarics with other therapies, um, other regenerative therapies or um, for prevention? How do you normally do it? Absolutely. We do a lot of platelet-rich plasma in my clinic. I do do stem cells. You know, one of the things about stem cells, I think everybody kind of gets the concept of a stem cell is that it... It's a cell that's immature and it has the potential for growing into a new cell. I always think of the great boxer Muhammad Ali had Parkinson's disease. And there's a known area in the brain called the substantia nigra that disintegrates and causes this Parkinson's. My father passed from Parkinson's. And I know Muhammad Ali went to Mexico to have some sort of stem cell treatment for him. I have no idea whether it helped him or not. I know as a fan of Muhammad Ali that, you know, he he was in the public eye for a very long time after we got the diagnosis of Parkinson's. And, you know, we all have images of him like at the Olympics and things like that deteriorating. I don't know that putting stem cells in any particular area really helps, but the platelet-rich plasma for sure is helping. There's no question in my mind. I've been using it about 15 years now. And it's a similar type of situation where I've had patients with chronic problems where there's no other treatment available. They're not getting better with therapy or anything else. And I start doing the PRP injections and they are 
having uh, recovery. And it's anecdotal evidence, but I've been doing it long enough to tell you that in my humble opinion, there's no question PRP is, is very effective. The other thing is it's a very good pain reliever. So when somebody comes to an orthopedic surgeon, it's very common for us to give injections. The common things for us to inject or that people may be aware of is steroid is a very common injection. People know about corticosteroid injections. Steroid is a very powerful anti-inflammatory and it helps alleviate pain for people who are having acute pain syndromes. Um, another thing we'll, that people might be aware of is a thing called artificial joint fluid. Um, so if somebody has some mild arthritis in a joint and they get this artificial joint fluid, sometimes it's helpful. Um, the artificial joint fluid is very expensive and only about in the literature, only about 50% of people get some benefits. So sometimes patients will come in, you give them this very expensive injection, they get a minimal benefit and they're frustrated and rightly so. I don't use it that often. And then platelet-rich plasma is sort of another uh, injection. And over the years, I've used them both. And I've used it on myself, actually. I have a bad back. I've had my neck fused twice. Um, and I've had uh, problems with my back for many years. Um, I threw out my back the first time when I was in the seventh grade. And I've played college sports. And I played rugby after college as well. And um, I'm very active now. I still do MMA. I play a lot of golf. I still exercise a lot. And about two years ago, I really had a serious problem with my back. I was struggling in the operating room. All my staff will tell you I was limping around everywhere. I was wearing my back brace all the time. I was having to stretch and I was really struggling to get through the day. And I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm ready to have some spinal injections. So I went and I got an MRI of my low back and it turned out I had herniated discs at every level and my L2, L3 was destroyed. Now I know that if I went to most doctors, I would have been offered a lumbar fusion meaning a fusion of the bones in my back. And I know from being an orthopedic surgeon that that's not always a great option because once you fuse one level, it puts a lot of stress on the levels above and below and you can you know, cause problems there. And then you spend your life just having pain and chasing it down. So I really did not want to have a fusion. I was obviously, I had the best doctor patient relationship ever with myself. I was super concerned about the outcome. I looked at these MRIs. So I got myself multiple injections in my back. I mean, probably 20 different injections to figure out what levels my problem, where's my pain coming from. And then once we localized it, it was on my left side at L2, L3 was really what was causing my problem. I gave myself multiple, not myself, but I had my staff give me multiple injections. I would get one day of relief and the pain would always come back. After I did that about eight or 10 times, I was like, okay, now I want to try the PRP. I got one injection of the PRP. I got up off the table. I was like 90% better. I stayed that way for months. <clears throat> it drifted down to about 80% better. I had a second one. They got me back up to 90%. And now that's like two and a half, three years ago. And I'm still doing great. So again, that's what we call anecdotal evidence, but it's on myself. I absolutely believe the PRP is effective. I've, it's my number one now. So I actually think PRP is better than the steroid, but they both have a role. When it comes to the stem cells, I have not found a different result when I use the stem cells. And in my mind, without it's hard to get, I don't want to get too much into the science, but the way you prepare the stem cells is really PRP. You know what I mean? If you get the stem cells, I usually get it from the iliac crest and there are stem cells in there, but you prepare it the same. It's really just blood from your bone marrow as opposed to blood from your, you know, your vein. So when you prepare it, you're really preparing platelet-rich plasma on the one hand, and then with the stem cells, you're preparing platelet-rich plasma, presumably with some stem cells. I think the results are similar, and I think it's because what's really doing or having the effect is the platelet-rich plasma. 
And it works very well in patients with muscle and tendon type injuries, people with mild arthritic conditions uh, in, 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 in their joints. It can be helpful if you have bone on bone, you know, and you need a joint replacement, it's not necessarily going to help for that. But people with, with um, lesser uh, arthritis, I've also had a lot of anecdotal stories of um, there was a young girl that played softball with my daughter. She had what we call bursitis at the superior medial angle of the scapula. So it's kind of right up here underneath your shoulder blade. There's a bursa and sometimes athletes can get bursitis there. I've seen it in rowers for the Olympics. I've had uh, a handful of patients that I've operated on where I've actually removed that top of the scapula so it doesn't rub on your rib cage anymore. And the surgery has been effective in all of the cases. Uh, but most people get better with injections. Anyway, I had this girl who's now a college softball pitcher, and she had two years of this pain. And her father called me. And she's like, man, she just can't pitch anymore. She's losing it. I gave her three injections over a six-week period. Her pain went away. And then the next thing I see her on Facebook, you know, I struck out the side. We won this tournament and nobody could hit me. as my first time in two years with no pain. And I have a lot of uh, stories like that with, you know, young girls like that and also professional athletes. So again, PRP, I've been using it for 15 years. I've never even had so much as an injection site reaction. So it's safe. It's your own blood. So nobody has a negative reaction to it. And again, in my mind, it's one of those things, the worst thing that's going to happen is nothing. And that almost never happens. Uh, that sounds uh, that sounds really promising. And I really like that you call it anecdotal evidence. I call it clinical experience. You're a hands-on practitioner, yes. and that's really valuable. There's place for research. We need research, but we also need clinical experience. Because if research is not validated by clinical experience, there's not much value in that research. You know, we could argue days and days, like whether it was the right sample or not. So in my opinion, clinical experience is gold. And your clinical experience shows that this therapies work. Uh, have you ever uh, tried combining um, plasma-rich um, um, injections with hyperbaric therapy? You knew I was going to ask this question because <laughs> you're oh. smiling. Of course, I combine everything. I actually combine the steroid with the PRP. Um, I did that in my back and that worked really well. And I do a lot of, if I think it's right for the patient, I'll combine steroid and PRP. I combine hyperbarics with the PRP all the time and other things, obviously the physical therapy. You were talking about clinical experience. You know, people misuse this term evidence-based medicine all the time. Um, Evidence-based medicine doesn't mean every single thing you do has a double-blind, randomized, controlled, prospective study on it. It just means that the things that you are doing are based in evidence-based medicine, and then you put it into clinical practice and you see how things work and don't work. And, and that, to me, is what a real clinician does. I'm not just, you know, getting, you know, I always say if I'm, I'm, I've always been very open to non-traditional medicine. When I was in residency, my my wife and I brought my father-in-law a membership to the gym. And this was many years ago. And even at that time, he was pretty old. And so the gym made him get a physical before allowing him to participate. And it turned out he had severe heart disease, high cholesterol, all this stuff. He ended up getting a quintuple bypass uh, based on that physical exam. And I went with him to the doctor. My wife wanted me to go because I was a doctor. And the doctor said, I want to put you on this. I want to put you on that. We're going to do this, that, and the other. And he was like, my father-in-law said, please let me have six months to do this on my own. And then, and then I'll do what you ask if it doesn't work. So he and I went to Barnes and Noble and we started looking holistic medicine and all this stuff. And we were pulling books off the shelf and he just did all that stuff. 
turmeric and you know cranberry juice whatever it was all this stuff and we went back to the doctor in six months and everything was back to normal cholesterol was normal blood pressure normal everything was normal and he never had to take any medicine and he lived to be you know 90 something he ultimately died of pancreatic cancer but he lived a very he was the healthiest uh, they were going to do a whipple procedure for him in fact they did do it it was at the time of surgery they realized his cancer was too far progressed but that's how healthy he was even in his 90s they were going to do this big operation for his pancreatic cancer and so i've always been open to the concept of non-traditional ways of medicine just because i understand you know not everything that we do in medicine is amenable to um you know a double line crossover randomized controlled study and so the things that I do, though, are based in science. Like, for example, with the hyperbarics, I understand about how oxygen is delivered to the tissues on a cellular level and how the you know, transport of electrons cause the, uh, you know, the, the biological effects in our body. That is evidence-based medicine. So I'm saying to myself, okay, if I know that's happening on a cellular level, it seems to me that if I got a person who's in in a healing situation, that if I put them in a hyperbaric chamber, that that ought to improve their healing. And then when I do that, and it seemingly helps, granted, on esoteric sort of things like, you know, they they seem better, they feel better, they're telling me they're doing better. I have a gut feeling that when I compare them to my other patients, they're doing better. That is meaningful. And as a physician, we are often trained about this concept of turning the corner, meaning when you see a patient who's sick, it's very obvious, like they are sick. How do you know? I mean, it's like a beautiful woman. How would you know? It's like, well, I can't describe it, but when I see it, I know it. And I've had this experience many times in my medical career where I've seen a patient who I'm like, you are not right. We go, we work them up, we take care of them. And then when they, we call it turning the corner, when you go and you just look at them and you know, okay, they're better. And I recently had a professional athlete who had a very serious car accident, a lot of it was complicated issue, but I was looking at him and I was just like, you are, he was in my clinic and I was like, you look Horrible. So I was like, we need to go to the hospital and get a um, nutrition panel. And sure enough, from all his injuries and everything like that, his nutrition was terrible. He wasn't healing well. He had bad wounds. So we got his nutrition up. We got him back into the hyperbaric chamber and other things. Uh, he had, he needed a bunch of surgeries too, but he ultimately healed. So this concept that a physician can look at a patient and know that they look good or they look bad or they're feeling better is a real thing. It's a real phenomenon. And that's part of the clinical experience. I just want to say for our listeners, this is what holistic medicine is really. You look at the person as a whole and not just see their wounds that they're not, that, that are not healing, but you see that the person is off. They're not well. And how can you get them better? And they might need a surgery, but not just a surgery. It could be, as you mentioned, that their nutritional status is off and many other things. And this is what holistic medicine is about. It's not that holistic medicine has to be alternative medicine. Um, it's, it's a misunderstanding and a huge misconception, in my opinion. And I really wish more doctors were like that. Instead of treating a disease, they would treat a person. You know, it's it's funny to me. I'm like reevaluating everything I've ever learned in medical school because as I've gotten older, I just realized like people are human beings. I mean, I've written papers that have been written up in major journals. I've written book chapters and it always occurred to me like nobody's really checking my work. <laughs> like I've written papers that I've spent, you know, a year, you know, reading and digging real deep and I'm like I, you know, and then I submit it and it gets published and you think to yourself, 
who really looked at that? I mean, I could have published, I could have said anything and it still would have gotten published. You know what I mean? Because the people who are checking, they're not looking at it that closely. And so I guess the point I'm trying to make is we're all human beings. We're all subject to error. And it's just how you look at things, you know? And, um, you know, when I look at medicine, especially if you look at a lot of Eastern cultures and the way that their medicine is developed over time, it's just different. You know, and I'm, I, I admit I'm not educated on it, so I don't understand chiropractic care. When I was in um, when I was in graduate school, I was lifting weights every day and I was playing rugby and, uh, you know, it was important to me. And then one day I was in the weight room and I kind of felt this big pain in my neck. I woke up the next morning and I was shaving and I was thinking to myself, my goodness, my razor is so heavy. I can't even hold it. And I turned sideways in the mirror and I had a wing scapula. And I was shocked, like, what is that? I went to an orthopedic surgeon at the time, who I now know is probably one of the worst orthopedic surgeons in the world, but I was a kid then, I didn't know. And he says to me, I don't know what that is. And I'm thinking now, how in the world could you be an orthopedic surgeon and not know what that is? Obviously, it was a herniated disc in my neck, and it was causing me to have a wing scapula. So he tells me, let's keep an eye on that. So I, you know, three weeks go by and I'm going crazy because I'm, you know, I'm lifting 90 pounds with this dumbbell. I could barely do 10 pounds on this side. And I'm worrying that I'm losing all my, my, my weight gains with every day that passes. And I had a friend who was a chiropractor. So I went over to his house and he manipulated me. And instantly I was 60% better after being stuck for, for three weeks. And then the next morning I woke up and I was completely recovered. Now, I don't fully understand everything that they do. And, you know, when they talk to me, chiropractors, I don't really understand that. But there's clearly something there that's benefiting me. And, you know, if I were to use my knowledge, he manipulated me in a way that pulled the disc off my nerve. And I never had any problems for another 10 years. I ultimately had surgery for it 10 years later. But my point is, is there are a lot of ways at looking at things. And, and as a physician, I try to have an open mind. At the same time, I'm not saying I'm just willy nilly like, you know, oh, rub cucumbers on your forehead and that'll cure your cancer. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying that it is worthwhile to, to look at different things and understand medicine is a big ocean of knowledge out there and it's not really possible for us to know everything. And so I'm always open to learning from anybody. I learn from medical students. You know, I have medical students that work with me from other countries. And I listened to things to say I had a great case a couple of years ago. I had a young man from Slovakia who is now in his orthopedic residency. And I'm so proud he's doing surgeries by himself at times because he's so good. And I like to think I have a role in that. But we were doing this big case and he's telling me, hey, you know, if you stab the medial collateral ligament with a needle a couple of times, it'll give you a little more flexibility and open up that space to let you do what you were doing. And I'm here you know, feeling like I'm one of the more highly trained, experienced sports medicine doctors. And here's this medical student from Slovakia. But I listened to what he said, and I tried it. And sure enough, it opened up and I was able to do my case. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, everybody, here's a good lesson. You can learn from anybody, always have an open mind. Don't ever be so arrogant that you think you can't learn from another person. I go here, and I jokingly said, here, the greatest orthopedic surgeon in the world is learning from this lowly medical student from Slovakia. But it was a good lesson. You know, it's like there's a lot of information out there. And, um, you know, always having an open mind is really good for your patients. And listening and, to your patients. Yeah, and never underestimate the power of learning and education, constantly learning. Um it was, this was an amazing episode. I learned a lot. I'm sure my listeners also learned a lot. Um, to end it, I'd like to ask you if, um, if you have a story in mind of a patient who used a hyperbaric chamber in your clinic and got better. 
Oh, I have so many stories of those. Um, I have many patients who've had these crush injuries to the foot. That was when I really was invested in, I'm going to buy a hyperbaric chamber. Uh, so I bought the one hard shell one, and I really started doing it for my patients with these crush injuries. They're having this burning and this chronic pain, and I've seen it all my career. And now I put my patients in there, and I mean, I, I can't be 100% sure, but it seems to me that everybody I've put in there has had significant improvement in their pain, if not complete resolution. Um, I've had other uh, patients, diabetics with wounds that have been chronic. I put them in there, those wounds have healed. That's not even controversial. Uh, that That's well well documented in the literature. And then I have a particular professional athlete who we have done quite a bit to, who's on the verge of doing something very special. And I want to keep that a secret. Uh, but we will be sharing that story when he accomplishes what I think he's going to accomplish. And there's a whole lot of story to tell there, and not the least of which is the hyperbaric chamber. Wow. So I'll get back to you when yes. when he's done it and we can talk about it a little more. If people want to find you, where can they find you? Uh, so my clinic is called Barber Orthopedics. My my name is B-A-R-B-O-U-R, Barber Orthopedics and Spine. We're in Atlanta, Georgia. You can find us on our website. Um, all of our social media, um, we're on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and all the rest is Barbara Orthopedics. And um, I'd be happy to answer questions for anybody. Uh, my email is uh, scott at barbaraortho.com. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for coming to the podcast and sharing your experience and your knowledge. And you have quite an extensive experience. I don't even know how many, 30 plus years, probably. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's, That's what it is. Medicine. Wow, that's really valuable. And setting the right stage for medicine uh, in US and across the world, because I'm sure doctors are also listening and that's what we should aim for, really. You know, think about the patient first and never uh, stop learning and be there for our patients. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. I look forward to talking to you again. Me too. Guys, if you like this episode, please share it with a friend or family or whoever might benefit from this information. And otherwise, I'll see you next week.